What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to podcast episode nine How to House Hack. I'm Frank Padalano, and I'm here with Jimmy Murray to help you crush it in your goals in real estate. So guys, house hacking 101. That's what we're going to talk about this episode. This is how I cut my teeth in real estate. This is how I got started. And honestly, I think it's the number one way for folks to get started in real estate. I'm pretty excited about it too because this is one of the first real informational episodes that we're going to give a ton of content and really help some of the newbies and first timers really get out there and do well. Yeah. So we're going to dive deep here. Um you know, one of the big things is a lot of folks who don't have a lot of money, they think the best way to get started in real estate is wholesaling. I'm going to be flat out honest with you guys. Wholesaling costs a ton of money if you want to do it effectively. So more importantly, wholesaling costs a ton of time. Yeah. So if, if you have time, you can wholesale. Uh, it's tough in this part of the market, but you can do it. But if you don't own a house right now, I feel the best way is through house hacking. Yeah. So what is house hacking? House hacking at a basic level is when you purchase a house, you rent out part of that house and live in the other half. So hopefully it covers some of the expenses of owning that property. So basically it's an owner-occupied multifamily. I've, I don't know where the original concept of the word house hacking came from, but people have been doing it for decades in the United States. You know, you have some, um, especially in Rhode Island, you have some Italian or Portuguese family that's owned some three family, also known as a triplex in other parts of the country, and they live in the first floor and they rent out the second and the third. Yeah, and I mean, if you guys own a single family too and you're younger, maybe you're not established with a family, you could also house hack a single family live in one bedroom, rent out the two others, and try to cover a majority of the costs related to that property. Traditionally, it's, it's done with duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, but you, know, you could do it with any type of property that could generate income that you could live in. Absolutely. Now, I have a rule of thumb, and I know rules of, rules of thumb are dangerous. However, in the Rhode Island market, I, talk, I call this my two, three, four rule. So if you buy a two-family and house hack it, a portion of your mortgage is probably going to be covered. Now, in Rhode Island, it's it's a bit of an interesting anomaly that most two families sell for the same price or a little bit more than three families. People are nervous to make that step to that additional unit when it's actually an added margin of safety. Yeah, so a lot of people, a lot of people can handle dealing with one other person. I think uh, fewer people want to deal with two other tenants. Right, but the cash flow protection of having that second tenant, it produces such such a higher margin of safety that most folks overlook. So my two, three, four rule, never buy a two family. Now, maybe in other parts of the country this works. When you buy a three family, you should be living for free. So your mortgage and utilities should be covered. And then when you buy a four family, you should get paid to live there. So never buy a two, three covers your expenses, and you should get paid to live in a four family. And that model works in our local market. Even even here when we think we might be skimming the top a little bit? 
When we're skimming the top, it's going to be a lot more tougher to achieve this, but during normal market circumstances, it absolutely works. So I would say this formula is going to work 75% of the time during any market cycle. Where, where we are right now, it is extremely difficult to achieve this, but not impossible. Um, we, uh, my partner, Chris, actually purchased a, my partner in my property management business. Chris purchased a property in West Warwick a couple months back. And for the prices on the market, it would actually be a valuable house hack where the expenses would be covered. So you can still find it. You just might have to dive a little bit deeper to find this type of a deal. There you go. And so like you said, in normal conditions, I mean, even in these conditions, you can buy a four and, and not have to pay anything if you price, if you buy it right. Yeah. So I would say fours are, at least in our local market, are a little bit tougher to come by. But when you can find them, that's going to be the best value play. And here's why. From a down payment perspective on the house hack, it's going to be significantly lower than if you were to purchase that with traditional investor financing. So going with that, I consider there to be three major benefits to buying a house hack yep. compared to um, some of the type of rental. The first one you're going into right now is the down payment. Right. So when you buy a traditional multifamily, non-owner occupied, which means you're not going to live there, you have to pay or put down between 20 to a 25% deposit. Correct. 25% is pretty much the standard. Right. So, but when you're house hacking, if you're going to live there, Jimmy, what is the average, not even counting when you get special deals, what do you consider most people be able to put it down for a down payment? Three and a half percent down. It's as simple as an FHA mortgage. And that's where people get hung up. But guys, remember, the name of the game in cash flowing real estate is leverage on your money. Now, not over leverage, but leverage in the sense that you're getting the proper return for the money that you put into that property. Where some people get hung up is, and some investors will try to sell you this way, oh, well, if you put more money down, you're going to get a better return. That's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Cap rate, so think about this, two levels. Cap rate has nothing to do with the amount of money that you put down. You're going to have a lower payment, by the way. Right, you're yeah. going to have a lower payment. But in terms of leverage on your money, your cash on cash, cash return, on cash. it's going to be decreased and it's going to impair your return from that cash on cash perspective. Uh, the name of my game is always trying to get the, the best benefit for my invested dollars. So I try to pay attention to that. So the second thing that I think about is uh, a lower interest rate. When you're house hacking, you get better deals on your interest rate versus if you're not owner occupied. Yeah, absolutely. Because you got to think when you guys are coming in on this house hack and using these owner occupied mortgages because you're going to be living there, you are able to achieve a 30 year fixed rate mortgage. So not only is it going to mitigate you know potential rises in interest rates. But it's going to be fixed for those 30 years. So as long as you're able to manage those other expenses, at least your most largest cost in your debt service is fixed. I mean, you can be not owner occupying at a 30 year, but just the interest rate difference between living there, what is it, like usually about 75 basis points? Yeah, I was going to say 100 points. basis points, but yeah, you're right 100 basis points. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So the third thing I'm thinking about is uh, like, isn't there uh, maybe like a lower insurance? Yes. So for, when you live in a property, the insurance is absolutely lower. Um, I am, I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm not an actuary, but I'm sure that there is some checkbox in that actuarial model for those brainiacs that sit behind the computers at the insurance companies. Uh, that is absolutely going to decrease your insurance premium when you are living in a property. Well, think about it this way. People are more willing to um, 
take care of the property if they're actually living there. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, if you're if you're not living there every day, if you're not getting up every morning and seeing that property, it's a little sight unseen, and you don't take care of it as much. Yeah, sometimes you may go a couple of weeks without driving by a property, and there may be some surprises that you do not want to find. Whereas if you're living there, you're going to see the surprises as they happen. So on on all my properties, all my properties now I'm property managed. Yeah. But um, so it's a little different. It's their job to actually go and look at the property more often, but. There are properties that I have uh, never been to, actually, that I own. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's a great spot to be in um, because you have trusted partners that are going to take care of those properties for you. So down payment-wise in the house hack we talked about, you know, typically it's going to be 3.5% because you're going to leverage the FHA mortgage. The way that I got started on my first property, I went to a local housing agency, Rhode Island Housing. At the time... They had a program where on a three-family, you could put 3.5% down, and on a four-family, you could put 5% down. But the kicker was that if your credit score was more than seven, was higher than 700, they would pay the PMI for you. That's awesome. So PMI on your typical three to four family. So hold on. What is PMI for those people that don't know? Yeah. Way to stop me. Way to slow roll. I was getting excited about that one. Um, so PMI is private mortgage insurance. So if you don't have at least 20% equity in a property at time of purchase, your lender is going to charge you that private mortgage insurance and essentially hedging the bet against you defaulting. It's like an extra insurance that they pay. It's a discounted insurance just in case you stop paying. Yeah, absolutely. So the bank is covered for um, the mortgage that they have out on your property. So Rhode Island housing program, I bought my first four family. I had no PMI because I had a credit score above 700, and that saved me roughly $200 a month. So I know it's not technically you know money coming in, but that's money that I get to keep on a Still monthly a savings. basis. So the, the here's the breakdown that I always use with the investors in my property management business. Anytime they're able to, to save money, it's going to drop directly to the bottom line because it's not going to change your operating expenses with a house. So whether you're able to increase revenue or decrease your expenses, in this case, decrease the PMI of $200 a month, if I'm dropping $200 a month directly to my bottom line, multiply that by 12 months, that's a $2,400 savings a year. But what's the value of that? The value of that $2,400 a year at a 10% rate of return is actually $24,000 in value. So saving that $200 a month now made that property $24,000 more valuable to me. That's awesome. I, I think you're, you're going to lose some people on that. But just another way to think about it, is that $2,400 a month in savings, uh, a year in savings, is equal to about one month's paycheck for many people. Not everybody. <laughs> yeah. But hey, guess what? If I, if I was walking down the street and saw $200 on the sidewalk every month, I would be pretty darn happy. Like that, that's a great spot to be in. There you go. So, um, so as, so as I'm thinking about this a little bit more, we've talked a little bit about the financing. One of the biggest questions that comes out of house hacks is what do you tell the tenants? Are you the owner or are you the property manager? So I think Frank's going to share a different opinion than me. However, I always told tenants that I was the owner and here's the reason why. The first year that I owned my fourplex in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, I spent every single weekend working on that property. 
I did everything from the internal rehab of every unit, painting, plumbing, you name it. Not like deep plumbing, but you know, uh, high level stuff that I could figure out on YouTube, right? And hopefully not easy stuff. Not not uh, burn down the house. Um, did all the easy stuff, and then during the winter, they saw me out there with that snowblower clearing the snow for them. You know, asking them to move their cars, making sure it was a safe, clean environment so that they could get to work in the morning. And then the other major project that I took on, I put a roof on a three-car garage in the back. And I can remember one of my tenants telling me, this is when I was working for a financial institution. He said, you know, it's crazy that you walk out in a three-piece suit during the week and then you strap on the work boots and you put on a roof on the weekend. And I said, hey, man, that, that's just my hustle. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to achieve. But hey, I got to work that day job in order to in order to get to where I want to go. Um, so for that reason, I always told the tenants that I was the owner. Did it lead to more difficult conversations along the way? Absolutely. And anybody who knows me, maybe I don't sound like it on the podcast, but I am an introvert. If I could spend time at home in front of the computer banging numbers all day and not talking to people, like that would be levels easier for me. Um, so was it more difficult? Yes. But was it worth it? Absolutely. So the opposite perspective on this, by the way, there is no wrong answer. This right. is just a strategy. Right. It's, it's all what's a fit for you when you buy that property. So for me, now just to preface, I never did the house hack, but I did own property and manage them. Right. So uh, often I didn't want to ever have those difficult conversations. So, or if I did, I just wanted like a layer of not necessarily secrecy, but protection. Like, I think there was like one layer between myself and them with like an ownership group or something else. And I never told people that I was the owner. Right. And even today, I mean, I own a few properties where people think I'm the owner and I might only be like a partial owner, but there's other ones that people think I'm completely the owner and I am, but I'm not going to admit to it. Right. You know, and just the whole thing, like, uh, if they're going to have an argument with somebody, it's like, no, no, you're going to have an argument with a lawyer. <laughs> I'm right. just property managing this place, you know. Right. I'm just coming over to shovel the snow. I'm just coming over to uh, fix something real quick. I I'm not normally here. And uh, I think that layer of protection for some people, especially if they don't want to get into arguments, that is one possible way to go. I think for me, at, at kind of the stage of the investing, of my own personal investing career, I think it also depends on asset level too. So when I'm new to the game and I'm owning that property, I'm house hacking, I'm living in it. I don't have a lot of financial exposure there. I mean, I'm into I'm into a four unit. I purchased for one hundred forty thousand. Most people are probably drooling now, right? Uh, for five percent down. I bought one for like one forty five only a couple of years ago, so it's still possible. Oh, there it is. There it is. Frank's gonna one up me, but that's a killer <laughs> deal. My my first one was in two thousand twelve. But think about it. I'm 5% into a $140,000 purchase. I don't have a whole heck of a lot of financial exposure there telling people that I'm the owner. But I do remember my first eviction. It was Christmas. Or I was in eviction court two days before Christmas, the first year that I owned the property. And you're living in the same house. And I'm people. living in the same house. And at this point, I'm 23 years old. And the tenant made a comment because he was 37. He's like, hey, you're pretty young. Hey, listen, man, you signed a contract. What does that have to do with you it? You agreed to pay. People are, people are funny. But I think that, um, you know, he, he may have been battling a little bit of Napoleon syndrome based on the age difference. But we all choose our own paths. We all choose to go different routes. My path was real estate. I want to purchase that house hack. But from the financial exposure perspective, telling people that I was the owner at that point, 
where I had very few dollars in my bank account, I was just trying to make it. I, I think it's a lot safer. Nowadays, I'm in a much different position. Um, and I think that it probably makes more sense to say that I'm the property manager. Well, they, they, res- they respect you more if they see you actually putting in the work right there. Right. You, right. Know, you, you can't complain about that. Um, at the same point, like you said, it's different for different people. Whatever strategy is okay. Absolutely. So the next thing that I want to talk or that we want to talk to you guys about is what's the right type of property for house hacking newbies? So my perspective. Hold on, I think it's like a must be like a fire damaged uh, D neighborhood (laughs) property. (laughs) So if you're a newbie and you want to buy in a D neighborhood, (laughs) don't. Good luck. Honestly, like uh, we, uh, my company manages some properties in in D neighborhoods now, and it's a different ballgame. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it is going to be you're you're really going to be diving into the deep end. Not dipping a toe in, you're going to be all out deep dive. It's a lot of work. And you better hope that you come back to the surface. Um, so my advice would be to purchase C-plus grade property, C-neighborhood, or higher, right? I think that you can recover from that. The other big one is a lot of house hacking newbies want to go out to foreclosures. That's tough. I and Frank can kind of piggyback on this one, but I will tell you... At this stage of my personal investing career, foreclosures still scare the crap out of me. <laughs> Particularly when you go out to these properties and you're asking the listing agent, how long ago did somebody live here? Uh, I think seven years, might be nine. Well, wow. You know, you see old electrical, old plumbing. God knows what could happen when you buy that property. Yeah, it, can be, it can get very expensive because the, when the cities know about it, they might make you bring it completely up to code, which is, you know, $30,000 expenses here or there like it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. So you got to be really careful with foreclosures. I would, you know, if you're a newbie, you're out there looking, don't even look at foreclosures. Honest to God, because even for experienced investors, it's a roll of the dice. Until you have deeper pockets and stronger cash flow, that's when you want to start looking at foreclosures if you have the aptitude to take the risk. Yeah, so to give you some examples of that, since you wanted me to one-up you earlier, um, I've had three families that I've lost $9,000 on as a a quick uh, flip. But there's other ones. I mean, there was one in Central Falls in the wrong time in the market where we made money by selling it at 50 grand. Yep. We sold a four-unit at 50 grand. It's wild. Wild. It made money. But you got to be careful with those foreclosures. So stay focused on see or better neighborhoods. And the other thing is find something that's fully occupied. Find something that, that has functioning infrastructure. Functioning infrastructure in the sense of the electric works. It might be outdated, but you can make some updates along the way. Plumbing that might be outdated. Cast iron plumbing in the basement is really popular in our local area. You can update, upgrade that to PVC. But you can chip away at it because you have the cash flow to do so. Yeah, if you can, uh, if you can buy a multi, like a four unit, it's always better to buy one with one tenant in there. Because then you know at least the systems are working. Right. And uh, not only that, but it's like an extra layer of um, security too. Yeah. So um, Frank and I have both been on the wrong end of this one. But when you have those foreclosures and you have those vacant properties, after your purchase, there's always going to be a period of time before you can get your crews in there and working on it. And then even when you have your crews in there working on it and nobody is living there, it's a roll of the dice. 
So yeah, if you go two weeks without uh, even a simply safe alarm system or something, yeah. somebody could easily rip out a nine thousand dollar Navian heating system. Yeah, so we are not sponsored by Simply Safe, but that's that's what we use. It's very inexpensive, couple hundred dollars to start up to get the system, and from your smartphone you can change the property address within an hour or less as to where that system is and to what it's tied into, and they have things as high tech as glass break sensors. That can alert the police and have the police to your property in sub five minutes if something's happening. So the added risk of foreclosures, buy something that is operational, that, sorry, operational that might be ugly, right? Focus on cosmetics. There are some great properties out there that may be not aesthetically pleasing, but may have some really sexy infrastructure. Absolutely. If you have a, if you have a building that's solid, Whoopie do if you need to do a new paint job, stuff like that. That's easy stuff. That's easy. That's those are the weekends projects that you can have a, a can of beer in your hand as you're painting the walls, right? Maybe, maybe <laughs> not maybe not too much, but um, those are the weekend warrior type projects that the new as a newbie you should be tackling. That that's what you should be focused on. The cosmetics projects that won't be as much of a heavy lift while you purchase a building that is already cash flowing. Maybe not to the level that you want it to be, but you can bring it there. One thing I like um, that you mentioned early on is just the whole concept of single versus multifamily house hacking. So I know people that are single family house hacking and they love it. So uh, what do you think the differences are? I think it's all about that roommate living, right? So if you're comfortable sharing a bathroom, go for it, right? So in your area, if a single family house hack works, Go for it. Yeah, you might be able to buy a property in, uh, in even in our market, you might be able to buy a smaller single family for one forty or one hundred fifty thousand, and then it's a three bedroom. And if you're willing to share with someone that's not always the cleanest in the kitchen that's and the, the cleanest part, in the yeah. bathroom, but you might be able to rent them a bedroom with everything included for five or six hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So I'm thinking, if I were to house hack a single family or a condo. I'm thinking like something that you could Airbnb. I was just going to say Airbnb. Right. So I think that's a tremendous opportunity in the market. Uh, a couple episodes in the future, we're going to bring somebody in to talk about that. But, um, you know, I think that that would be a tremendous house hack on a single family or condo style apartment, particularly like I think about the east side of Providence. So on the east side of Providence, you're close to Brown University, Rhode Island School of Design, really sought after schools. So if you, as families come in to check out the schools for their kids who plan on attending college there, I think that's a great opportunity to house hack the Airbnb way. So going with that, I think that if you're doing single families, you're going to mostly try to work with friends that are going to move in and they're going to help pay you to live there. You mean you don't want to live with folks that you screen from Craigslist? Well, so going that with that. show up with cash in their pocket? Cash in their pocket is <laughs> always a problem for those of you that don't know. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so the multi, though, the multi, you could. Uh, I actually just sat down with someone I was mentoring a little bit the other day, and uh, she hasn't bought anything yet, and she was very concerned about, she wants to Airbnb all of it. And I said, no, no, no. I said, here's how you do it. This is my strategy. I've never tried it before, but just throwing that out there at this time of the market. I said, live on one, live in one of the units on a triplex. Traditionally, rent a second unit. And the third unit, if you want to Airbnb, try to Airbnb that Test one. It test it you know but just just be safe you know yeah so i guess the big takeaway here is try and dip your toe in the deep end don't, don't take that pencil dive to the bottom right try and dip your toe in try it out 
Um, there's no hurt in trying it out and being able to revert course. Yeah, no situation is perfect. I mean, so for example, we just posted, and this won't be released for a few weeks, but we just posted something about debt service coverage ratios yep. yesterday on Instagram. And it talks about best case scenario. And guys, there's always going to be problems. You always need to have a safety net. You always, always. have to have backup money uh, just in case the uh, heating system fails. That's one of the biggest differences between renting and owning is that if you're in the middle of the winter and the uh, heating system goes down, you might need to fork over a good amount of money right there that day in order to fix it. Yeah. These people that don't have emergency funds, you are not ready to house hack yet. No, and emergency funds could be even having a credit card at the ready. Absolutely. Right, so it doesn't always have to be cash on hand. No, but it, it, it should be, you know, three to $5,000, whether it's in a credit card or cash that you have for that emergency situation. Right. So here's the pro tip on house hacking. Relevering. So I bought my first one for 140 Probably six months after, I'm into it for roughly $15,000 after the rehab. Not really strong dollars. A couple months thereafter, I had another investor offer me $215,000 for the property. So I've got a pretty good amount of equity there. I knew that it was a fairly savvy, aggressive investor. So in my own mind, I recognized that I probably had more leverage, more equity in that property than what that investor was offering. I didn't do it for a while, but two years later, I went back to the bank and I was able to re-level the property, move it into investor paper. So what I, what I would consider investor paper is an 80% LTV or lower product. You're saying so, a lot of big words for, for people, but basically yeah, so, you decide to refi it right. and take cash out. Absolutely. So I ended up taking about $15,000 out but I was able to change the mortgage from an owner-occupied mortgage to an investor mortgage with a 70% loan to value. So essentially proving that I had generated 30% equity in that property. Because you bought it 3% down originally, three and a half. Right, so here's the rub. Now I can go on and buy another one with owner-occupied financing. I bought my second property with a 3.5% down FHA product. So. House hacking is a great place to start. If you can figure out how to use leverage and change the paper from owner-occupied to investor-style paper, that's going to be when you know that you are a professional house hacker. And I recognize a pat on the back is a foot away from a kick in the butt. But that's when I said, hey, I might be pretty good at this real estate investing thing. Let's, let's chase this. But I would say anyone out there focused on trying to tackle house hacking, that's where you should that's where you should be focused on the exit strategy as. Uh, Stephen Covey always talks about begin with the end in mind. Absolutely. So on a house hack, the end game should be properly leveraging that asset so that you can roll it into investor paper and you can just repeat the process. So uh, in order to uh, improve on investors here, what would be the uh, the best type of book or video or anything else in order to house hack? Uh, that's I, I think you're kind of stumping me here. Um, so honestly, I, I can't remember the author author's name, but we posted on Instagram a couple of days ago, and I think it's Landlording on Autopilot. So the gentleman who wrote the book, Mike Butler, maybe. I think it is Mike Mike Butler. 
Um, the gentleman who wrote the book was actually a police detective in Kentucky, and his model was to buy single-family rentals. And he scaled the business very quickly once he dove, dove deep into it. But that book is extremely prescriptive. Prescriptive in the fact that he is going to give you a step-by-step guide and how to properly tackle the management aspect. Yeah, it's Mike Butler. Yep. So, Frank looked it up quick. It is Landlording on Auto Autopilot by Mike Butler. And that's going to give you a lot of tips. I know that it's not directly related to house hacking, but I think that, at least from my perspective during my house hacks, the majority of the questions that I had are related to being a good landlord and making sure that I had the proper documentation. So from there, if you have, you know, you have the right strategies and processes in place, you have the right paperwork completed, that's going to set you up for a a higher level of success. So I think that if you, uh, if you really want to do more of this house hacking, my best suggestion is that you uh, download our ebook on house hacking. Yes. So the ebook's going to come out shortly here, guys. And I think that will give you the best insight how to complete a successful house hack. There you go. Well, between uh, Jimmy pulling it off uh, twice within uh, two or three years, it was a a great way to go with that. And uh, he has a lot of knowledge beyond what you just listened to on this podcast. Yeah. So we hope that you guys enjoyed the Cashflow Kings podcast. If you enjoyed listening to it, if you guys could give us a share on Facebook, Instagram, give us a shout out, tell a friend. We sincerely appreciate it. We're working diligently on growing our tribe and trying to positively impact the lives of more people. So if you liked us, send us a DM or share the podcast on Facebook so that we can reach more people and help them. We've had a lot of great connections so far. Let's keep it up. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. So in the meantime, in between podcasts, feel free to check us out on our website www.cashflowkings.com or give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook under The Cashflow Kings. To your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice. Each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions.